Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And Jay, let me tell you, it's been a, I, I took a week off. I got COVID, you know, it's been a kind of a hazy fever dream of a week or past two weeks, really. And I just don't know what the hell this Boston Celtics team is because they had two just absolutely atrocious losses uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves and then to the Clippers where they made four of what, 43s? And then they turned in a damn good performance against the Suns, came back with another awful performance against the Orlando Magic, but somehow found a way to win, kind of go on a crazy 14-2 run, I think, to end that game and force it to overtime and, like, find a way to win. And I just don't know what to make of this team other than they're wildly inconsistent. Well, first, we got to talk about your bout with COVID. You okay, man? I uh, it, was, it was rough there for a while. I think I got cursed, actually. I got uh, – I got 10K on Twitter. I got that K. I finally, after begging for it for what feels like two years now, I got it. Much to the thanks of the J. King bump, I got to give you credit for, I think, like 80% of my followers have just come from you telling people to follow me. So I appreciate that. It's not often I give you credit. Um, but that oh, happened. <laughs> that <laughs> happened. Then I immediately took the worst contracts final I've ever taken in my life and then immediately got COVID. And... Um, I was vaxxed, boosted, uh, but it's just Omicron was no joke. I just, I'm, I got a, as you described it, we were talking earlier, I got a bitch-ass immune system, and I was fevery. I was, had some fever dreams. I was had the chills all day. It was, it was rough stuff. And so as soon as I kind of started getting over COVID, that's when the Celtics started winning again. I'm not sure if it's a, a correlation, but uh, – them losing those games uh, as badly as they did right while I was uh, kind of feeling as sick as I did. I don't know if it's – it doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. Who had the worst month of November? <laughs> you with your law school finals and then about with COVID or the Celtics? Who it's, it's, six <laughs> and nine and fell a few games below 500. <laughs> It's pretty messed up that my health is actually like people say like all oh, my my moods directly tied to my favorite sports team. No, my health is directly tied to my favorite sports <laughs> team. You want to know why I, I had such a bad immune system? It's because I was watching the Celtics bungle a game in uh, Minnesota and get like only score what like twenty points in the fourth quarter. It just absolutely ridiculous. I I don't. Was know. a small part of you that was happy to see Greg Monroe dicing out there? I mean, I was thrilled to see Greg Monroe, the moose man out there, just putting in work. I was not thrilled to see the other guy who I don't know who he is. Greg Monroe doesn't know who he is. Go off for like 29 points. Um, I was upset that we didn't get more Joe Johnson during his 10-day uh, run. You have a, you create a great moment, Ime, and then you just don't put ISO Joe in the rest of his time with the Celtics. It didn't make any sense to me. One of my brothers has been saying Jalen Noel is going to be a good NBA player for years. Oh, wow. And so that was a big night for him. It, w it was a big, big night. The dunk on Jabari, the 20-whatever points, Greg Monroe finally finding out Jalen Noel's name. Like <laughs> that, that was a big, big night for my brother. He's, he's had Jalen Noel stock all along. Um, what a weird game against the Magic, man. Just, uh, I mean, for 44 minutes, that was just gross some of the most uninspiring basketball the Celtics have played all season, which is saying a lot. <laughs> this team, like, just goes through stretches of having the worst turnovers. Like, they're not just regular turnovers. They're, like, throw the ball directly to the other team type turnover. Throw the ball in traffic that can't possibly get to the intended target type turnovers. It, it's just... And to borrow one of Emil Joker's phrases, mind-boggling. Just mind-boggling some of the passes the Celtics threw, especially in that second quarter when that, they had, I think, nine turnovers. And it's like, what are you guys doing? You're you're out here playing a, a team that's starting Tim Frazier. And My guy. 
Former Celtic, Tim Frazier. He was the only, uh, first person I ever, like, interviewed in a one-on-one at a Red Claws game in, like, I think 2016. So I'll, I'll forever be connected to Tim Frazier. He does look like the frog on the cover of Kellogg's Smacks. Um, but, yeah, that's my dude. That's not something you should be saying about your dude. Kind of a <laughs> rough comment there. Hey, I, if he's my dude, I got to call him as I see him. But then – then the Celtics are down 14 with four minutes left, and all of a sudden they become great. And I guess like all you have to do is try for four minutes against the Magic, but it's just just another sign that there's like something there for the Celtics if they want to harvest it and grab it and become a better squad. And Ime Udoka thought it showed growth. I don't know if it showed growth or desperation or what. It was one of the few times this year the Celtics have actually closed out a close game. So, That's growth, baby. The Celtics <laughs> of old would have came all the way back and then lost by seven. Like they would have cut it to one with about a minute left to play and then somehow managed to mess it all up. I think at this point, you got to take the small victories. You got like the Celtics of the past two years would have bungled this game completely. Like obviously they should not have been in that position against the magic, but it does – I don't know. I'm just happy they got a win against the Magic. Like, there's, it was not pretty, but, like, finding a way to win ugly is – I'll take it at this point because they have, they still have one of the worst kind of fourth quarter uh, – all the stats on them in the fourth quarter are atrocious right now. So I'm shocked anytime they're able to pull a game out or not blow a game. Um, and so I'm going to take it as growth, even if it comes from absolute uh, absolute desperation desperation and just complete procrastination and Jerry was awesome he was brown was except for the final possession of regulation yeah he should have not left time on the clock like i I honestly in a tie game i don't hate the fadeaway jumper but you cannot leave time on the clock and the magic like barely called a timeout in time they probably could have had more time if they had executed that properly um but, yeah, you, you can't leave time on the clock there. And it, he probably shouldn't have settled, considering that every time he had gone to the hoop, he had gone all the way to the hoop, finished, and ones, everything. Like, he was he was getting to the bucket no matter what. So may, maybe Literally, the possession else, so. before that, he, got like, did a dribble move, split someone, and, like, got to the hoop and with ease. It just – for you to have the entire possession, I just don't get that, where it's, like – we have 24 seconds. We're going to take it down to the last shot, and then we're just not going to, like, we're going to go full ISO. It's like, at least let the guy come off a screen or try to do something. It just feels, I get Jalen hasn't, like, had many of those opportunities, but it was just, like, all, everything that got you back into this game goes out the window because now it's the final shot. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of the time settling for a jumper there is the best way to make sure there's no time on the clock. Now doing it three seconds early and – Still leaving time on the clock is not good <laughs> at all. But like you said, Jalen hasn't really been in that situation too often. You know, like normally it's Tatum with the ball in his hands making the decision. And so so that that's kind of a new role for, for Jalen Brown um, and something that he'll have to deal with if he does get more opportunities in, in that situation before. I think especially in those – like the Celtics – they almost always seem to settle for that fadeaway in that moment. They got what no other bet. That's the only option. It's either Tatum is taking that fadeaway or Jalen Brown is taking that fadeaway. Yeah, yeah, it's never like pick and pop and Al Horford gets wide open. <laughs> like screen and roll and they hit a lob to Robert Williams. It's, it's kind of just forever ISO in that moment. And I get it in a tie game, like I said. Like it, it's not the biggest sin in the world to me, but it is, it is forever ISO in that moment. Um, but like to me, Jalen got his fifty, which is really impressive. But we've seen the shooting sprees from him before. I actually thought it was not more impressive than fifty points because fifty points are more impressive. But it it showed some growth when. He hit the around-the-back pass for an assist, and then he found out Horford in the corner for an assist, and he didn't force it. 
And I, th- I think that's the biggest thing with Jalen. And Emil Doka talked about it after the game. And Jalen can get tunnel vision sometimes. And I think especially when things go wrong for the Celtics, he tends to, like, just go into I'm going to score mode and get to go to, you know, step back fadeaways or tough isolation shots, sometimes in transition, that can get the Celtics in trouble. Um, and they have a team. It's not just Jalen. They have kind of a team-wide um, – like habit of doing that but I I thought so I I thought it was important for Jalen to that he got his 50 and then didn't decide you know what I've got the hot hand guys let's keep going to me every time it was okay I've got the hot hand they're going to overreact to me let me find my other teammates and that that was that was the most impressive I said it again that was the uh the thing that stood out to me more than even any of the buckets. Yeah, and the find in the uh, Horford in the corner was for a huge three. I like the balls of throwing the behind the back pass there. Um, but really, Matt I thought, like, did not. <laughs> yeah, I saw that take. It was like, I don't know. He it, was it, on you know. Twitter furious that Jalen <laughs> threw it around the back pass, like he's Norman Dale or something, coaching Hickory High. <laughs> Grow up, Matt. It's 2022. People throw those passes all the time. It worked it's out uh, quite well. <laughs> I'm kidding, Max. Love you, buddy. Just use the glass. A bucket is a bucket. No need for all this slam dunking. Um, the thing about Jalen is when he's bad with the ball, he's bad with the ball. Like we, you're talking about the early turnovers. A lot of that was Jalen Brown just like throwing the ball to no one or just losing the ball, like trying to like gather it. He had seven turnovers in that game. Um, but I thought with the ball in his hands down the stretch, he was really solid with it. Whether it was just attacking or making the right pass, as you said. Um, and I think limiting that turnover uh, was important for the Celtics just because they were so bad, especially in that second quarter. Um, and it's just really bizarre because if you go back to that Suns game, I know that they had Rob Williams in that game, and I think we should talk about him more. But the thing that stuck out to me about the Suns game is just how good their ball movement was and how much they were – cutting and I think a lot of it does have to do with Rob like playing through Rob at the top I think he is like a lot of vision and was doing a good job about finding passers but just the whole team um had a lot of ball movement they had a lot of assists they uh just like cutting just way more cutting than I'm used to seeing and so my question for you Jay is how much blame should Dennis Schroeder get for killing all the ball movement when he comes in the game (laughs) (laughs) uh I mean I think you would give him full blame, probably. He loses the vibes. He is an enemy of ball movement. He is a record scratch, pound the ball into the ground kind of guy. But it's kind of by necessity. Like, teams just aren't going to guard him at at the three. And so it just makes it easier for teams to switch and do all that stuff when you don't have to, like, pay attention to somebody. And the previous game against the Suns, like you said, the Celtics had tons of player movement, tons of cutting. They played through Robert Williams. They played through Al Horford. I think those guys combined for 17 assists. And But you have to account for all those guys. And so I, I think – so Schroeder does pound it, obviously, but part of it is just that teams leave him open and he needs to pound it to, like, take away that space because he's not comfortable shooting catch-and-shoot three-pointers all the time. Oh, so, if only they had a point guard on the roster who was pretty good uh, at shooting catch-and-shoot three-pointers and like from a considerable distance <laughs> yeah I, I mean we're getting closer to the trade deadline we're getting closer to uh the point where Dennis Schroeder might get dealt so we'll see it was his first game back from health and safety protocols too um but yeah obviously their their style becomes a little more grating when he's pounding the ball into the court um and obviously the turnovers were an issue. I think with the, the Jalen thing, I think part of that is just his evolution. Like, he, he hasn't really been used as the primary playmaker a whole lot. Even when Tatum's on the court, it's like Tatum, Marcus Smart do a lot of that stuff. And, and Jalen just kind of plays off those guys and as a finisher. And so the last few games, I think the Minnesota game, like, he was bad. And he blamed himself for it, and he knew he was bad. Um, and it's, it's just different being in that role 
and having to to create things for yourself. So that that's part of the reason why it was, you know, such a such a good moment for him to to have the fifty against Orlando and to finish that game the way he did, because even in this short bit of time, like he's learning in that role. I don't know how how useful it will be, um, but the biggest thing for him is just making like quick, smart decisions. He's athletic enough to get in the paint whenever. Just just make the quick, smart decision to the open guy. Like he always says, he he overcomplicates the game, and and I think there that there's probably something to that. Like just get in the paint and see see what opens up, and then just hit whatever's easiest. So he did a great job of the, that against Orlando, though, and it was Orlando. And and they're not good at all, but but it was still like down that stretch. He totally got whatever he wanted and whatever the Celtics wanted. It wasn't just whatever he wanted; he got what the Celtics wanted. So just just a really 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 good performance out of him. And Orlando may not be good, but they have Terrence Ross, and so I think that like you can't discount anything they do because Terrence Ross is a a ghoul or some sort of goblin who always defeats the Celtics unless uh, for that one brilliant year when uh, Javante Green was the Terrence Ross stopper. <laughs> <laughs> that was Javante's, Javante's <laughs> most shining moment. In, in Explosive duck dunks and shutting down Terrence Ross. Um, so, so Terrence yeah. Ross did something like he – during one of the reviews, I think it was, it might have been during a timeout, but he just went up and like just casually walked over to the backboard and then just flew up and touched the top <laughs> of the backboard square. And I was just watching it like, oh my God. Like, that's not a guy. Obviously, he's a super athlete and he's, he can really jump. And especially when he was younger, like, could really, really fly. But he's not one of those guys you associate with, like, the best athletes in the NBA. And it was just so easy for him to just go and walk up and touch the top of the backboard square. I was sitting there like, good God, these guys are are not normal at all. Just no, a no. reminder. That, <laughs> just a reminder that they're different. <laughs> we are not athletic whatsoever when it comes to the best basketball players in the world. But, yeah, no, I wouldn't expect Terrence Ross to be able to go up and get it. But didn't he win a dunk contest? Or isn't he in the yeah, dunk yeah, contest? Yeah, Terrence Ross could fly. Like, but he's, he's still, like, in the latter like, half of his like, career. But I'm telling you, it was just so easy. <laughs> it's like the easiest thing in the world for him to just go up and touch the top of the backboard square. Like, Jesus, man, just calm down. That's pretty wild. The thing you mentioned about Jalen's development, and this is something I've been thinking about recently just with all the, the – I think the stupid conversation about like, is it time to break up the Jays? Like it's one, just, you know, there's just like no value in like kind of splitting up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but like, they're still very young by NBA standards. Like Jalen Brown's 25 in his sixth year, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum is what? 24 in his fifth year. Like back at like, my understanding of the league is like most people didn't really hit their prime until 28. Like that's when most NBA players were really like uh, kind of getting into their zone. It makes sense to me that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum ha- have not figured it all out yet. Like there's, it feels like there's this weird expectation where they, because they had past success, like they should be like competing for championships right now. And it's just, it's kind of absurd. Like the first year they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, that was really kind of random. And I think they kind of got lucky that they ran into the ultimate choke artist in the Philadelphia 76ers. Then they had the season with Kyrie and it was just awful and it didn't really go well. Then they played with basically two all-stars in Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward. And then when you remove Kemba Walker basically through injury and remove Gordon Hayward from the team, Obviously, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be worse or not have, like, as much team success. And so I just don't get this, like, expectation that, like, obviously they have not been a great fourth-quarter team. But I don't know why Celtics fans expect the roster as currently constructed for them to be, like, 
top members of the Eastern Conference. Like, I just don't think the roster around them is good enough for, like, those expectations to be justified. But I don't think fans expect them to be championship contenders this season. I think fans I, the, the, the kind of reactions like, play people are having their head, like they're saying like you got to blow it up now but, is but, but like I, the, I, kind of the approach where it's like you we need to win now. There's no room I, for development there. I think, I think fans, fans expected like fourth or fifth seed in the East, a team that was competitive every night. And to me, it's not just that the Celtics are less than 500 at this stage of the season. Like every team has dealt with a lot this year. It's been maybe even weirder than the last two seasons, which is saying a whole freaking lot. Um, but it's just the way they play and, and just that that every once in a while, like, passing goes out the window. Or every once in a while, they'll be playing the Orlando Magic and just have 95 turnovers in a single quarter. Or every once in a while, they will – just shut down defensively and a unit that's usually pretty good just is no good. And you look at it, they're 21st offensively. Like that's horrible. That's really freaking bad. And I I think what, what bothers a lot of people about this team is just the way that they've played. It's, it's, it's not necessarily that they're losing. It's like just the way they do it with, you know, in in fourth quarters, it's like just every man out for himself. Or in fourth quarters, all of a sudden, the way they played earlier in the game just goes out the window. So they've lost a ton of close games. They're in a ton of close games, which is a sign, first of all, that they're not very good because if you're good, you're winning more blowouts. Um, so there, there are a lot of reasons for people to be upset. I, I do think some of the conversation has gotten out of control especially because lately like Tatum and Brown haven't even played together <laughs> and that's when all the talk about breaking them up has picked up steam like Jalen was out then Tatum was out and it's like okay let, let's 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 see what it looks like I, I do think this year has taught us that Jalen and Jason both have a ways to go but it's also taught us that the Celtics need to have a much different supporting cast, probably with a lot more shooting and some more passing around those guys to accentuate what they do best, which is scoring and putting the ball in the bucket and being extremely versatile defensively. Like, they have a ton of things they do well. The one thing that they don't do as well, at least relative to their other strengths, right now is playmaking. And Tatum's further along than Brown, um, but Brown has a really long way to go. And the Celtics haven't done enough to, to make things easier on those guys on that front. And so that's, that's one of the big takeaways I think from the season is like, they need guys who make playmaking easier on those guys, whether it's by shooting and spotting up and making an easy pass to a good shooter or by being better passers themselves and setting those guys up for easier buckets or being great cutters or whatever the case may be. Like just guys that, that, make it so that those guys while they're figuring out you know how to establish themselves as as playmakers and better decision makers and quicker decision makers to just make it a little easier um so, yeah, but that's I, the thing I, like there's there's clearly room for improvement like i'm not denying the fact like they they should not be 18 and 19 right now but it's just weird to jump to the immediately like blow it up i agree like they i think they're like at a normal place in their development and then if you look at the context of what is surrounding them. Like it kind of makes sense that their fourth quarter offense has not been good just because they just, I mean, if you look at some of the lineups last year, surrounded by some truly awful minutes out there with Jeff Teague and Semi Ojale getting big run. I agree with you. I think they need better kind of a supporting cast. I think there's good signs this season. Um, just from what Robert Williams has given you, what, I think Marcus Smart has done a pretty solid job when he's given the opportunity to kind of just be the um, facilitator, but it doesn't seem like they really go to that uh, down the stretch uh, of games. It seems like it does turn into more of a Jalen and Jason ISO show, but um, Grant Williams has emerged as a kind of a guy, uh, more of a consistent shooter. I do think they have kind of pieces moving forward, and given the schedule – 
in January, the January schedule is much nicer to them than the December schedule is. Like they do have an opportunity to go on a run. I think the thing that's like I, the the most frustrating for fans is just the inconsistency from the team because we see their ability, um, but it's just like the they can't really put it together on a night in a night out basis. And I get understand why that's frustrating, but the people clamoring for like to trade Jalen and like, I don't know. It just like, it got on like national podcasts. You got Jeff Van Gundy and Zach Lowe talking about it. It's, it's got a little bit too ridiculous. Where would you say it's poppycock? I would say it's absolute poppycock. Thank you for, uh, I was looking for a word. I was kind of just doing some word vomit to try to figure it out. But yeah, absolute poppycock. You haven't uh, had poppycock in a long time. No, I thank you. I appreciate you for, uh, for bringing it back. Uh, like what do we, the thing is, Jay, Jason Tatum's coming back to this team. He was questionable against the Magic, but you know now two days off before they play San Antonio. They have an opportunity to make a run here in January because they have. This they, is a huge stretch for them, honestly. They need to like go twelve and four or something in this month, like to because they really have playing some not great teams or at least some average teams uh, with a lot of home games and after like a pretty tough December. This is where they have an opportunity to kind of get healthy. I think on Wednesday they should have most of their guys available uh, and actually just, like, put a put a run together. Yeah. yeah. You look at the next five games, Spurs, Knicks, Knicks, Pacers, Pacers. That is an opportunity. That is a golden opportunity, especially after a rough month of December. Now Tatum's coming back. They could be pretty close to full strength, if if not all the way at full strength. And that's huge. Like, if they can go 4-1 and one or 5-0, and oh, all of a sudden, they're a little bit over 500. Maybe they're in, you know, 6th or 7th place by then. They start to feel themselves a little bit. They, they start to hit a rhythm then maybe maybe things get a little easier in the fourth quarter. There's not all the pressure of, oh, man, we've collapsed every time. Maybe they start to hit a roll in that, in that sense. So this is a big stretch. This is a big stretch that, like, really, really matters for this team. And I can just feel a home loss against the Spurs coming. It's just it's, it's brewing in there. The time when they need to play their best basketball and just – what, DeJounte Murray's going to come in? Lonnie Walker's going to drop 35 tomorrow or Wednesday. Lonnie wow. Walker, he's a bucket. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, nothing would surprise me. But if, if, if this season can be salvaged, if the Celtics can make something interesting of themselves, the time is now. It is right now. And if if they go like two and three in this stretch, say goodbye, say goodbye to the season, <laughs> say goodbye to some of the players on this team because they will get dealt. Just say goodbye. Um, like this, if if they go two and three in this stretch, it'd be bad. If they go one and four, like whatever. This, I I don't know if this stretch can make the season, but. He'll probably break it further than it's been broken so far. Anything less than three and two is uh, unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Then you should trade Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Then it won't be poppycock anymore if they go two and three on this five game stretch. <laughs> but even after that, they have like a tough back to back after those five games with Philadelphia and Chicago. But then they have another pretty easy five game stretch where they go Pelicans, Hornets, Trailblazers, who are bad. Washington Wizards, who were frauds and are also bad, and then Sacramento Kings. Like, they have some serious opportunity in the month of January to pick up some ground and do some things. It's like the it's all there for them now. They're coming back healthy. It's just, I it's like it's time to kind of put up or shut up for them. It's like I have no longer have the excuse that the season doesn't start till Christmas. It's well past Christmas. We're in 2022, boys. It's time to put up or shut up and. The question is, like, can they make a move? We mentioned Dennis being traded. Um, I think we've talked about this on every podcast for the past three weeks, but um, 
if anyone in the in the live room right now wants to to hop on ask any questions or has a dentist trade or a possible other trade i don't care how ridiculous it is feel free to press the raise hand button and we'll get to you but is that like that's the most obvious option for like right now for the celtics trying to improve their team is is it feels like pritchard's playing well dennis on an expiring deal is the most logical guy to be traded because i don't like know who else uh on the roster like has a lot of value in the nba right now or would get you back a valuable piece yeah Yeah. there's not much i mean (laughs) al horford half his contract is like disappearing and he's he can still help a team so maybe he's got value but he also has value to the celtics like as first of all one of their best defenders and second of all veteran leader what's happened with horford's outside shot by the way it's weird it's not working out uh great I don't know why it is. It feels like he has no bounce or, like, feel around the bucket anymore. Like, it feels like he misses a lot of, like, layups or, like, jump hooks off the glass that were, like, vintage. Those were, like, Al Horford gimmies when his first stint with the Celtics. Yeah, it's it's kind of getting a little concerning. He's shooting 43.8% from the field. I think he's just, like, he's your seventh guy. I think he's a very, very solid seventh guy. I don't think you're going to close with him. I think Rob Williams has proven that he's just like that much more of a ceiling raiser. But I think for being the seventh guy, he's a damn talented seventh guy, and you can play him and you can close him like with him if you need to be like have yeah, him. But he's just like, the, some of the two point issues haven't been that bad. Like he's shooting fifty six percent on two pointers. Which is totally fine. Um, he hasn't shot as many. I think part of that is just he's playing with Robert Williams. And Robert Williams is going to be the role guy, the dunker spot guy, the guy who's normally closer to the bucket. Um, but when you He's just not the pick and pop threat he once was, yeah. And, and who knows if, if that's – like that could just be a fluke. It could be something he's due for regression of the mean, or it could be he's aging and can't shoot as well anymore. So that, that, like that's a big deal for them. If he shoots 35, 36% instead of 29%, like that changes things for them. Their offense has been gross most of the time when he and Robert Williams play together. I don't think them that's like the the solution. I think Grant has emerged as enough of a guy who can knock down corner threes and it's like been pretty solid on the defensive end where he just gives you so much more spacing than that kind of double big lineup. I think that double big lineup they start it just out of kind of convenience at this point, just so they don't have to use like that many of their, their wings. But um, yeah, I think Horford is just so much more valuable if he can actually stretch the floor and he's just really not providing uh, that much spacing right now um, in terms of knocking down those shots. Um, The starting lineup is weird because you look at, they've only had eight games, I think with their actual intended starting lineup and that actual intended starting lineup, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Robert Williams has been awesome. Like, I think they're plus 20.6 points for 100 possessions, which is awesome. Um, obviously, it's an extremely small sample size. But if you get outside of that group, and maybe that group has enough shooting, enough playmaking around Horford and Robert Williams to make it work, and maybe other groups just don't have that. But Williams and Robert Williams and Al Horford have been like an awesome, awesome defensive duo, but the offense has just gone to shit with them on the court. A lot of the times it's like, I don't think it's just them, but it's like a lot of the time you have Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart with those guys. And it's like four non-shooters. Now that Horford has kind of been a non-shooter, like that's four. And that's like, it's tough to have a good NBA offense, even in middling NBA offense. If you have that many non-shooters on the court at once. So the the double big has like it has its use because defensively they're awesome with with those two guys on the court, but the limitations have shown up too. What do you think about playing through the like the offense more through Time Lord at the top? I think he's like shown himself to be a pretty good passer and makes the right decisions. I think I would like to him to be a little bit more aggressive because it feels like he's very he's like the only pass first big uh, like uh, of his size or like pass first 
lob threat that I've uh, ever witnessed, but he definitely looks to be distributing the basketball. Uh, it's like he was managed to get that triple double against Phoenix, but um, I don't know. It feels like giving him the ball at the top of the uh, the paint generally results in good things and kind of pulls out the big uh, and just allows the guys more space to operate. What do you think about just like kind of trying to get him involved in the offense more, kind of in the old school Al Horford role? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Ime Odoka should change. It's like he said a few times recently he didn't know how good a passer Robert Williams was. Well, why not? <laughs> you know, like Brad didn't let you know that on your like uh, interview day or orientation. There was a ton of film of Robert Williams making good passes just last season. Like, how how do you not know that he's a gifted passer? You know, like that, that, that comment, and, and maybe he may is just trying to hype up Robert Williams or whatever. Um, but if he's being a hundred percent sincere and if he really did not know that Robert Williams was a gifted passer, like that's that's a failure because Robert Williams can really make plays from the top of the key and he can make he can find cutters he can hit guys like that's one of the things he does well and I, I've I've thought all year long that they haven't used him enough in that role they haven't used Al Horford enough in that role those guys like to have two guys like that that can really find guys from the big position is not normal. And so I, I think this, I think you're right. I, I do think Celtics need to play through those guys more. I, I do think that's, that's one change, one adjustment they can make to, to kind of make the offense a bit more free flowing. And you can tell Marcus Smart was all about it when he was asked about it. He was like, yeah, <laughs> that would really make things easier for Jalen. It would make things easier for Jason. Like, It'd be cool to have some movement out there and force the defense to cover all types of different actions. Um, so we'll see. But like Robert Williams, I think his assists per 36 minutes, they've they've almost been cut in half. And like, he hasn't gotten worse as a passer. It's just he hasn't been in the same situations as last year. So I, I do think they need to go to that more. I think the ultimate solution, like the 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 best lineup the Celtics can run out there right now is Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, and Robert Williams. And a quick little look-see on NBA.com. I don't know if these are the right stats because, uh, Jay, you apparently have access to better stats than I do. But according to my NBA.com, they've only played three games in 22 minutes together. With Grant Williams? Yeah, yeah, I I don't have access to different stats than you. I go to I, one time, one like one time two weeks ago, we just had wildly different stats. But in those twenty-two minutes, the net rating is thirty-five, and they have one hundred and forty offensive rating, one hundred and four defensive rating. It's just like pretty damn good. Like I think that's like ultimately what you're gonna have. The question is, as good as Grant has been, I think he's really emerged as a three-point shooter again. I mentioned his defense, like. Can you find a option uh, via trade? You, I likely using Dennis Schroeder, maybe some other pieces to kind of improve that Grant Williams position. So you can have a basically someone who does what Grant Williams does, just a better shooter or a more dynamic uh, offensive player. I think Grant's been pretty good in just his. Are there better shooters better. than Grant Williams? <laughs> That's the big question right now for the Celtics. They have to figure that out before the trade deadline. Is yeah. any guy we pick uh, bring in a better three-point shooter than Grant Williams? I don't – like, they could trade for Steph, and he wouldn't be a better three-point <laughs> shooter than Grant Williams. <laughs> it's only DeMar DeRozan is the only one who's better three-point – like, he's shooting still 44%, which is wild. Grant Williams. Grant Williams is shooting 44% from three. He's been really good, like, just really good from the start. And I think he like in the past two games where they won, he played 34 minutes or 30, basically 35 minutes and then 39 minutes. Like I do think he has a, a pretty solid impact when he's on the court. Um, I just think that's like ultimately what you're going to have to go with because 
you put him in the corner, you put give the ball to Time Lord at the top of the key, and you have the other guys move. I think that's like when you have your best offense. And then with those five guys on the court, you can have kind of the one of the better defenses in the league and just switch everything. I think Grant and Time Lord, like if you obviously Grant's the weak link there, and we've seen a lot of like shifty small point guards kind of attack Grant, and but I do think he's gotten a lot better at moving his feet and playing defense on the perimeter and not fouling and not fouling. And so like, if you want to attack Grant one-on-one, but that's like, that's your entire offense. I think you live with that. Like, I don't know what else you're going to get out there because I'd much rather have teams attack Grant than just being able to roast uh, Dennis all day. And what do you think about Grant Williams starting at small forward? I was a bit uh, sticky. Uh, Not my ideal position for Grant. That was wild, but it kind of worked. Yeah, they had a decent first quarter uh, in that game, but I'm all for Grant getting minutes. He's just got to be put in the right spots, and small forward is definitely not that. Hopefully, with Tatum and Time Lord coming back, we won't see more uh, small forward Grant. I thought I thought the the way they ran the offense against the Suns, the with the cutting and, and the bigs initiating a lot of the offense, I thought that really allowed Grant to show off parts of his game that he really hadn't shown at all at the NBA level. Like, he was kind of taking advantage of some of the Suns' smaller perimeter players, even Devin Booker, by face-cutting, getting the hoop, and making a quick little post move when, once he got there. And Grant was really good in the post in college. He hasn't utilized that at all in the NBA, but if if you have like if you do have more of a cutting offense and a system that that gives guys a freedom to kind of duck inside, like Grant Williams is physical enough, big enough, and skilled enough, I think, to to get some buckets and to punish some of the smaller guys who will be defending him on switches and stuff like that. So that was interesting. That, Especially that when they start, they did it like six times in a row where they like it was Time Lord passing him the ball in the paint, and like Time Lord brings out the big, and basically the Suns were playing four wings or guards with their big guy, and so Grant Williams, he's not like a traditional post center, but he's definitely big enough to be able to punish uh, anyone smaller than that. And so I, I think, and Time Lord, if you cut in front of him, he's going to get you the basketball. I just like would like like to see that look again if it's Grant cutting or if it's any other guys uh, kind of on the perimeter, I think we saw Marcus does a lot of uh, good cutting on the team. And I think Jalen and Jason will also be able to kind of punish smaller guys. Like that's use your size that way, pull out the big with uh, Robert and let him pass and let him find guys. I thought it was just a, a good way to find offense for them. I, I agree wholeheartedly. They need more, more bigs initiating. Well, once we start agreeing, you know, it's about time to wrap it up. I'm going to, kind of a filibuster here in case anyone wants to raise their hand and join in because we have not had any listener participation today. So now's your chance. Um, but I'm just going to have to keep on talking uh, and just waiting until someone perhaps joins, but it doesn't look like this it. This is embarrassing <laughs> if no one raises their hand. Honestly, um, save us, people. Now it's actually, uh, oh, well, thank you. Uh, oh, we got all sorts of folks. It was actually going to be a funny bit uh, if no one raised their hand, but we're going to go right now to... Celebrity caller, June, joining us. June, come on down. I, it wouldn't be a potable podcast without you. How are you doing, June? Good. Happy New Year, guys. I just wanted to save you guys because you guys were, you know, deep in the dirt with no callers. But <laughs> I uh, appreciate that. That's why you're the GOAT. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to make, I guess, uh, uh, just two things that you guys touched on. Like, one comment, I think you guys touched on all her for shooting, but I thought he actually – is having a lot of issues around the rim too, generally on offense. Like, I don't think he's been good in the post Um, as a finisher. He's been lacking, um, which like contributed to a lot of um, the issues with the offense. And then after you talked about Dennis Schroeder trades, I actually just like went through the entire NBA Ross, the entire NBA. And there's like not a lot of teams that could use that need like a backup point guard or a, or a guard who can get into the paint and is like willing and is like in a position where they actually need to add talent as in like they're in a playoff hunt. Um, I was looking at the Cavs cause you know, they just lost Ricky Rubio, but they just added Rondo. But even then I was like, maybe like 
a Shetty Osman, like, does that interest you? But, like, the Cavs are down a bunch of wings. Um, like, does Justin Holiday interest you from the Pacers? But, like, I don't even know if the Pacers would look at that. Um, so I just wanted to just hop in and say what's up and say hi and leave those two comments for you. Appreciate, appreciate it, Jim. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. Um, regarding Schroeder, the teams that I look at that kind of make sense would be the Cavs, the Mavericks, maybe a team like the Nuggets, um, like the teams that have either because of injuries or because of roster construction just need some more creation. I don't think the Celtics will get a lot for Schroeder. Um, but if you can get like some sort of player piece and a second round pick or a couple of second round picks, whatever, like for a guy who's not probably not going to be around long term and who is blocking the path to playing time for Peyton Pritchard and who doesn't necessarily like lead the Celtics to winning, if that makes sense. Like he's, he's not, I don't think he's been like this huge impact guy for them as a, a contributor to winning to, to steal a Brad Stevensism. So he's no Jay Crowder. He, he's no Jay Crowder. Um, as far as Horford's finishing goes, uh, like some of the numbers are probably better than you'd expect. Um, we're not talking numbers here, Jay. We're talking the eye test. The eye uh, test. Sure. He's missed some bunnies, but like, He's shooting 77% around the rim. Wow. That is higher than I 87 percentile for big men. Um, Like he's shooting. Those are according to cleaning the glass. So his accuracy has been there. And I know some of the bunnies stand out that he misses. And, and he's definitely had lower volume around the rim, but that could just be that he's playing next to Al Horford or Robert Williams rather. And not always playing the five, and some of the misses do stand out. But like for the most part, he's actually finished pretty well. It's one of his better finishing seasons by percentage. Actually, his best season by percentage ever at the rim. <laughs> um, but like the volume isn't there, and it, there are different types of attempts. So I'm not sure the the percentage is the best gauge there. But it hasn't been probably as bad as as people think it has. I think the three-point shooting has been more of an issue to me. Yeah. Um, we talked about Horford, too. I think Justin Holiday, getting back to the Schroeder trade thing, because nothing excites me more than the idea of a Schroeder trade. Um, he's, like, Justin Holiday is a solid, like, that's about the extent, I think, of, like, what you're, the kind of player you're going to be able to get for, with Schroeder. I don't think Schroeder has that much value, but Holiday is a decent three-point shooter, uh, a six six guy who can play on the wing. He's not doesn't like play power forward. Like he's not uh, the perfect fit in terms of the roster, but he's not a point guard. And I definitely think he can hold his own defensively. And so I actually like really like that target. You're, I think you're right. There's not a lot of teams out there. I think the teams you mentioned like who might want to make a run, but it's it's going to be difficult to figure out exactly uh, a place for Schroeder. But I think like Justin Holiday is pretty like. If you're setting expectations for this trade deadline, it's going to be like someone more like him than uh, a kind of a bigger name star. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go to James H. right now. Joining us on the program. James, how are you doing? I think we lost him, so I'm going to try to go to Josh S. Josh. Oh, we got Josh and James. James, you go first. Nope, you lost your chance. Uh, Josh, you go now. Guys, I'm such a favorite. Uh, I love this show. It's one of my favorite shows to listen to. So honored to be on here. Um, Thank you, man. I want to actually check in with you guys and just see how mind-numbing is it to cover the Celtics with the way they've been playing, just so uh, back and forth, up and down. They 
can't seem to string anything together, you know, the, between bad games. Oh, we lost him. I don't know what I'm happened here. there. I'm oh, here, guys. Oh, great. Step on in. <laughs> I hey, think... uh, hey, this is Snotty Dripping, man. Nice talking to you guys again. Oh, what's up, oh, Snotty? Um, so yeah, man, this season's been, uh, been quite a roller coaster ride for roller coasters going straight down to hell. Um, <laughs> uh, but you guys know me. I, I like to overreact. Um, I don't get how they, they, they show up against the good teams and they show up sometimes against good teams and sometimes they just, just crap themselves so utterly against bad teams. I, I don't know what's happening. Um, but yeah, you guys, you were spot on, man. The talk about splitting those guys up is way too early. Um, but for the first time, I think since Jalen Brown's been uh, drafted, I can actually—I wouldn't be shocked if he was—he wasn't there in the next eighteen months. That's that's probably fair, um, and part of it too is like at some point, pretty soon, he's going to have a decision about his his own future to make, and is he going to want to stay in Boston, where the Celtics have been five hundred? last season, less than 500 this season. And he's received a lot of criticism uh, for some stuff that's not in his control with a roster that's been depleted of talent. And yeah. honestly, like a lot of the criticism falls to him and Tatum. So part of it is like, it could be, could be his decision to, to leave force his way out, whatever. And I think that's why the Celtics have a lot of pressure to get this right, right now and get the supporting cast right quickly as quickly as this summer um and, and that's part partly why it's disappointing that the first crack i guess at rearranging the supporting cast from brad stevens has kind of fallen short and and it just puts more pressure on whatever the next iteration is to be right yeah and it's really tough when a guy like schroeder which he's so he's such a, an, an anomaly because statistically there are times and about 85% of the game, he can be pretty okay, right? And then, but he makes the, he makes just such terrible mistakes. And watching him look off Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum is so frustrating. And watching some of those turnovers when he just, I don't know what he's thinking. Um, so he's almost he like, a, like one of the worst passes ever, every single game. Every game, dude. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're going one on four, and then you realize you're going to get blocks. So you just keep it back. Um so yeah, man. Like, uh, and you can see. Uh, I think one of the comments Jalen made about last night, well, you know, we just need an effing win. But he was like, I knew that you know it wouldn't have been good if we lost. The media would have had something to say. Like he knows it. They feel the pressure, and that's what kind of sucks is that they are young and they're developing. But because of that prior success, they're they don't have the same. They're not given the same leeway a lot of young players are given. And it it is what it is, right? This is part of the expectations of of being really good and having being really young as these players. So. Um, it's, it's really fascinating going forward. Uh, but like you said, they've been me- mediocre basically for the last two years. And, uh, like the, 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 the common denominator is Marcus Smart, uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And it's it, unfair. I think it's unfair to put it all on them. Cause like you said, when your next best player, the guy like Dennis Schroeder or Al Horford, then, you know, there's, there's a, there's a gap there. You need a little more, you need a couple more like high level role guys. So, um, yeah, man, Stevens has a work cut out for him. Thank you, yeah. Snotty. I, Always like, from you, Snotty. I think they like Brad did pretty good job oh, in his yeah, first Snotty year. Snotty is weird, by the way. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> what about Snot Boogie? <laughs> Snot Boogie, fair enough. Snot Boogie, classic wire reference right there. That, that's what I did during my uh, my COVID, as I just rewatched season one of The Wire. Uh, fantastic, one of the, one of the best shows to not not one of the best show to ever exist. The great American novel, if you ask me. Uh, one last point for before we get to uh, Tom, who's waiting. But I think like I thought Brad did a pretty decent job given what he was inheriting from Danny in terms of being flexible. Like he does head into next season with being able to trade uh, Horford's contracts a lot more tradable. You won't have Dennis on the books. I really don't understand why they re-signed Richardson because um, I feel like they would have had more flexibility if they didn't. But they decided to do that, but I think like that's why he made you make the Kemba trade. That's why you like kind of give him a first round pick. Is like for you have greater flexibility moving forward. I just don't know like what else Brad really could have done to make improve the roster this year. Uh, and so I don't know. I like 
I understand that like obviously you want the Celtics to be playing better, but I just don't know like where that where like kind of the opportunities were to add that much more talent uh, to this roster like were uh, kind of before this season. Yeah, they kind of had to shift around some of their main pieces or like their rotation pieces to to do it. Um, but I I do think you're you're right. Like part of his job, literally the first thing he did was come in and get rid of Kemba Walker. And so part of his job was just financially changing the Celtics position. Uh, he let Fournier go. Obviously, from a talent standpoint, it would have been, and even a fit standpoint, like Fournier offensively he was a very good fit. Nah, that Fournier guy, stinks, bro. Look at around. his numbers. I'm, I'm, I'm just understand. saying, like, he would have spaced the court. He knows how to play, good passer, all that stuff. Very skilled guy and six seven. So lo- losing him, getting letting him go, like obviously they, they filled that role in different ways. Um, but I, I do think the vision of having just tough guys everywhere isn't enough. Like they need more skill. They need more passing. They need more shooting. They need more guys with high basketball IQs. Um, like you look at, and I think the Warriors are a really good example. Obviously things are different for them because they have Steph and they have Draymond, maybe the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the game right now. But the way they transform their supporting cast from in one year, one offseason basically, from a bunch of guys who didn't really know how to play to, okay, bring in Otto Porter, bring in Nemanja Bielitsa, find Gary Payton the second who, who fits in perfectly with that team. So it's like you can do it in a year. You can change the supporting cast and get guys who make sense. They brought in Andre Iguodala who got himself in great shape. Like you can do it quickly. Um, but you need to find the right pieces for your team. And the Warriors did it, the right pieces to surround Steph and Draymond with, which they didn't have last season. And and now, like, they're at the top of the league. Like, the, You got to the- nail your mid-level exception, and the Celtics are over 2 with Tristan Thompson and Dennis Schroeder in the last two years. Like, that is, like, the one cap flexibility you're given, and, like, you got to get value from that. And – I understand the gamble on Dennis just because he's is a quite talented player, but I just don't think like I would have gone for fit around Tatum and Brown more there than uh, necessarily just going for the, like the pure value talent play. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think this season has made it pretty clear. Like they just need more skill and guys who know how to play, whether it's cutting, moving, like making the right decision time after time. Like they just need that. Uh, And so we'll see how Brad approaches it, but, but he does have a lot to figure out with this roster. They clearly need to get a lot better. Um, And quickly, because there is a pressure with Brown and with Tatum um, to kind of figure things out quickly. Cause there's a lot of pressure on those guys. Like you look at, let's say the Hawks, the Hawks, I think they're worse record-wise than the Celtics right now. Nobody's talking about whether to split them up, and obviously it's because they went to the Eastern Conference Finals this past season rather than the year before. But it's like I do think Tatum and Brown get judged differently than a lot of young guys because they did have that previous success. And because yeah, but we already established that was poppycock. Poppycock, poppycock yeah, yeah, but but it matters <laughs> like. Like, there's a lot of heat on those guys. There's a lot of heat nationally on those guys right now. There's a lot of heat on the Celtics. And, like, like if, if you're in that situation, you're dealing with that heat all the time that, that other guys elsewhere aren't dealing with, then I'm sure that grows tiresome. I'm sure that grows into a heavy burden. So, like, the Celtics, they need to find a way to alleviate alleviate that on those guys but then start to win more games and help make the experience more enjoyable for those guys because like, it's gotta be grating to, to look on Zach Lowe's podcast and be like, Oh, they're talking about whether to split us up again. <laughs> like, Oh, there, there's Jeff Van Gundy talking about where he thinks Jalen Brown should go next or whatever the case may be. It's like that stuff can get to you. So, and that's that's real pressure. Like that's real pressure on the organization to change that. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see.
All right. Well, this is the, the final call. We're going to go Tom S. wrapping this up. How are you doing, Tom? Tom A. I'm good. How are you? You're right, Good. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I've got a question for you guys. So, bear in mind, we are 500 at the moment. Well, around 500. It's looking like we're going to be 500 maybe for some time without an incredible off-season. At what point do you guys think we should just give the people like Payton and Neesmith some big minutes? Because I think at the moment, you need tradable assets to be able to get to that next step that we want to go. And I feel like a lot of teams are unsure about who we have in them kind of players because they, they haven't got enough to go off. So at what point do we go, OK, we're 500, we might get in the playoffs. Well, we should do, but we probably won't make a run. At what point do we just go, there you go, lad, show us what you can do. So at least at the off-season, we know what we've got for sure. Because I think there's so many questions still over them. Can Peyton do this? Can Neesmith do this? Is, are, are they reliable and all the rest of it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a, a real question. and I think they haven't made it easier on themselves by not always playing well. And I think Pritchard, like, when Schroeder was out, Pritchard played so much differently. And he was getting minutes, and he knew he was going to get minutes. And all of a sudden, he looked like the confident guy he was as a rookie. So I, I do think there's something to, you know, getting rid of Schroeder and freeing up minutes for Peyton Pritchard. And, like, Josh Richardson's been pretty good, but – like, is he going to be a part of the next great Celtics team? Or is he a guy that maybe they'd also look to to move and free up minutes for Romeo Lankford, for Aaron Neesmith to see what, what those guys can give? Uh, but like Lankford, Neesmith, and Pritt, like, they just haven't made it easier on on the organization because they haven't played well enough to earn those minutes. Yeah, they're not bursting down the door like – Making it so Ime has to make some tough decisions. Like at this point, well, even like so Brad's Brad's like we gotta free up the path to playing time for these guys. It's like they just haven't been great. And and if you want to punt on the season and just decide, okay, we're gonna develop these guys, like that's cool. But also, like how does that impact Tatum and Brown? How does that impact the locker room? And and how does that impact the product on the court? And there's a chance like Neesmith gets minutes and starts shooting the ball really well, and Pritchard does the same, and and things change. But also like you look at Neesmith, he's a shooter shooting like in the 20s right now, right? Yeah. Percentage wise. And you look at Romeo Lankford, and he tricked some people into thinking that he he had figured out his shot, but he's back shooting. I ball. am some people. Neesmith's at me. 35. The 23.8% threes. Like, Romeo Lankford, after the first couple of games this season when he was four for six, is right back to, like, 20-something percent shooter, which he's been his whole career. So, like, that, and that's part of the problem, too, is that these young guys haven't haven't done enough to, to show that they're part of the – a definite part of the future. Like, Grant Williams has. Robert Williams has. Peyton Pritchard has done enough to, like – make you think he should probably be in a rotation somewhere. But, like, Romeo Langford is a, a wing who shoots in the 20s from three most of the time. Aaron Neesmith is a shooter who is shooting 23.8% from three. You know, like, there's just – those guys have to prove it. And I think January is the time it. to do it. Like, it's not necessarily – it's not on those – against the Knicks and Pacers and Spurs. And multiple games against the Pelicans. Like, if they are still 500 at the end of January, then I think you seriously, like, you just trade whoever you can for – or you, I guess you trade Schroeder and Richardson for assets. And, like, at that point, I do think you just got to play the young guys because if you're 500 then after – what we described as a very easy schedule in January, then I just like don't think your team like you don't have it this year for a run. Like might as well try to like pivot to next year. But they have a very easy schedule in January. They should win at least eleven games in January. They've already got one. They got the the brilliant comeback against the Magic. Um, but January is like really the month to put up or shut up. It's like. 
New Year, new team, new Jay King. I heard you on the basketball, buds. New Year, Jay King. New Year, um, Jay King. So we'll see what they do. Thomas H., I'm going to go to you right now because I know you've been waiting a while, and then we'll wrap it up. Thomas, how are you doing? Tommy. Tommy tight pants. Oh, oh hello. Oh, brilliant comeback, Tommy. Thank you. Uh, instead of I have a quick question. Do you think um, Marcus Smart is the future coach in the Ooh. NBA or lower level? Just looking at some of the comments he made after uh, Time Lord game with the ten assist and how he liked just the way he broke it down, why he liked it, and then uh, Jalen last night. <clears throat> have to talk about encouraging him to pass and be a distributor and all. You just you really sound like a coach or a future coach. I like that question. I like that question a lot. And I, I think smart he would have to like like be be able to control his emotions at all times. Or he can be a hardo like Ime and just call guys but, out. But Ime is always in control of his emotions. Like he Marcus he, we cannot say the same about Marcus Smart. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I don't and, know if he'd be able to stop himself from diving on the ball. If he's wearing a suit out there and there's a loose ball in front of him out on the court, I don't know if he's uh, – you, you kind of have to tie him to strap him into the bench. His whole team would be diving on the ball. <laughs> like every player he got would be diving on the ball. He'd be on the, <laughs> on the sideline like sweaty and stuff, just just totally into it. But I, I do think his knowledge of the game is, is extremely high. And – and he's all about the team. He clearly has defensive intelligence that's like pretty close to unmatched, even in the NBA. I think he'd make a really good coach if if he could if he could avoid like the the one or two emotional outbursts that he has every season. That's the thing is like because every other coach, those would be like really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if like just playing the game is like the what kind of puts him in that weird unconscious zone where he just doesn't you don't know what he's thinking. Maybe if he's not actually on the court, uh, he'd be able to avoid that. But it's an interesting question. I, I don't. I, it's, I think it's really tough to evaluate who's going to be a good coach, especially like while they're playing. Is there anyone who's a good coach now who is just like, yeah, that was pretty obvious. Like we knew they were going to be a great coach uh, during their playing days. I can't think of anyone who like sticks out. Uh, Chauncey Billups. He, I, it's unclear if he's a good coach, but yeah, it's definitely unclear if he's a good coach. Um, Steve Nash, I would have guessed, was a good coach. Would be a good coach, and he's a good coach. Well, there you go. I guess it's not a new year for the kid because you know you're just you're just still dropping brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I'm dropping brilliance. It's a new kid. Uh, is a new sure. year? Is that potable, Jay? Is a new year, new you? Anything's potable. Everything is potable!